Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Yo, weird thing happened over at First Baptist. Uh, most of you know I preach uh, over there at nine and then come over here. A weird thing was happening. While I was preaching, I was thinking to myself, man, you are so boring this morning. And I just, it was just, just this, this feeling of, man, it's just, ugh. And have you ever had this conversation with yourself while you were actually talking to somebody else? It's especially fun when you're preaching and you're doing that. But here's what happened. As I was, as I was having these thoughts, I was, I was actually thinking to myself too that, but, but this stuff is not, like super exciting. I mean, it is if you really think about it, but, but you don't need to, to make this something that is flashy and, and, and um, you know, awesome because it's just truth. And I think sometimes we are looking for the miracle when we really just need to look for God's hand. We're looking for the, the big bang, and not that big bang. We're looking for this, this explosion of fireworks. We're looking for this, this thing where God goes, oh, right? And that's not the way God usually works. Now, he does do really cool stuff. Don't get me wrong. He does use people in phenomenal, exciting ways. But the majority of life is ordinary. And it's a lie if you believe that your life is supposed to be super cool all the time. No, most of your life, most of my life is just faithfully putting one foot in front of the other. And so what I want to do for you today or with you today is I want to help you see that God is at work in your life. And God didn't just start to work in your life. He's been working in your life since before you were even born. And what I want you to see today is that his purpose and plan for your life is long discovered. See, so many times we want to wake up and go, okay, this is what I'm called to do, and just start doing it right away. But that's not reality. And I want to show you in the scripture the life of, of one of my Bible heroes and how God started working in him since before he was born and completed the work in such a marvelous way that he literally put a bow tie on it and said, okay, now, you're now it's time for you to die but I've done all that I needed and wanted to do through your life. So, you want to walk with me today on this? Would you like to discover how you can find out what your special sauce is? We've been talking about this for several weeks now. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you get to say, okay, this is the how. But I got to warn you, it's not flashy. And it's a long journey, but it's worth every bit of it. So, I'm going to start by telling you that I went through an experience about, well, it was just before, it was about February or so, January, February of 2020. So before coronavirus started shutting everything down, it was one of the last things that I did um, that, that was outside of the church building for, for a long, long time because, you know, everything, all meetings, everything's shut down and we went all virtual. But I went over to Niceville and I met with a friend of mine who works for the Florida Baptist Convention. His name is Lewis. And he walked me in two days through this thing called a life plan. What a life plan is, is it, it came out of Colorado. There was a guy who developed this system of helping people discover why they were made. 
and helping people discover their purpose, and they call it a life plan. And so what you do is you go into a room with your life plan coach, and you start putting paper on the wall. And so we went into this large room, and we put sheets of paper all throughout the walls from one corner all the way back around to the other corner. And we began to ask questions, and we began to write. And the questions were about where did you, um, what's, your, what's your past like? Where did, is that a bird? Is he inside? Do y'all hear that? (laughs) That's a little distracting, I gotta be honest. So I can't say squirrel, I can say bird, right? So, okay, so, well, I I said I wanted it interesting, right? Well, there you go, God sent a bird. Um, So the questions are, you know, what, what major events in your life happened that, that you can point to as these were, these were pivotal moments and then what people in your life influenced you? What kind of uh, 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 things did you experience that were, that were um, um, difficult? Where did you hear God? What are your passions? What are your loves? What are your gifts? What are your skills? And so we literally spent two days writing this stuff on the wall. And on the end, at the end of the second day, I just stood there and I just read everything that we had spent the last uh, two days writing. And I looked all the way around and I had this thought. I said literally to myself, or I said it out loud, I said, wow, God has been doing the same thing in my life since I was created. It was, it was one of those eye-opening, pivotal moments where I realized that God truly has me how and where he wants me. And that was actually the impetus for me beginning to try to figure out how I can help you as the church to come to the same realization. Because here's why. Most of us live our life without ever fully understanding why we were made. Don't raise your hand unless you want to, but how many in this room do not know why you were put on the earth? I'll bet if you were vulnerable enough to answer that honestly, half of the room would raise your hand. Because many of you haven't had, the, uh, haven't had somebody walk you through this or haven't had the experience of being able to really sit down and look at your life objectively. And because some of you are believing all of the voices that should not be listened to and you're not hearing the voices that should be listening to. You're listening to the voices that say you're not good enough. You're a failure. You haven't done enough. You haven't achieved enough. You haven't been faithful enough. You haven't done this or you haven't done that. And, and, and it's because those voices are not the voice of God. Those are the voices of the detractors and of the enemy and of people who just don't have any clue. And it's easy for us to listen to the voices that are against what God is doing in our life. It's hard for us to believe the voices for the, from the ones who are for what God has done in your life. But the only voice you really need to be concerned with is the voice of God. And the voice of God is found in his word. So let's look at the voice of God in what he says about one of his choicest servants, Moses. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter (laughs) 2. That is inside the building somewhere. Wow. You say it is outside? Okay. That's funny. For those of y'all who are watching by uh, TV or Facebook, we have a bird inside the building. 
<laughs> now, by the way, if that thing gets loose and comes after me, I need y'all to let me know, okay? Because I can't see behind my head. <laughs> it will be memorable. Um, this is burning phoenix come out of the sky. That would be, that would be real fun. That, that is a mom right there. That is a mom, mama bird saying, I told you to clean your nest. Um, wow. <laughs> like I said, exciting. Here we go. In chapter 2, now, <laughs> does somebody want to go look at that? Where's my son? Where's Joshua? Josh is in there. Oh, I think you got him. Hey, if you got him, bring him out here. I want to see him. <laughs> come here, come here, come here, come here. He was up in the attic. Way to go, dude. Whoa, but you... Woo! I got to tell you. I don't know where to go from here. Wow. Whew. I'm awfully proud right now. That was actually, he was actually a sermon illustration for later on. All right, so where in the heck am I? Um, Moses. I want to know, Kevin, how are you going to edit this out for TV? That's what I want to know. Just, just let it rip, huh? All right. <laughs> Chapter 2, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. All right, so the story begins in Moses' life by God giving um, uh, 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 a man in the house of Levi a son. And this son was named Moses, which his name means to draw out. And this son was born in a very difficult time in the life of the Jews. Because what was going on was, Pharaoh was, being, was becoming jealous that the Jews were increasing and multiplying. And he said to himself, if I let them continue to multiply, they are going to be bigger and greater than us as Egyptians. And they will rule over us as opposed to us being able to enslave them. So he sent out the command first to the midwives and said, when a child is born, if it's a male, kill him. But the midwives, the Bible says in chapter 1, feared God and said, no, we're not going to do that. And when he, they were asked, why are you letting them live? Their answer was, these Hebrew women are tough. So you see, they said, they're, they're, they're stout and they give birth before we ever get there. And so Pharaoh says, okay, I got an idea then. From here on out, every male child that is born is to be thrown into the Nile and killed. Why? Because if the males are thrown into the Nile and the females are let to, let to live, the Egyptian males will marry the Hebrew females and the females will give birth to Egyptian children. See, that was Pharaoh's obvious plan, but God had a different plan. Here's what I want you to know. God always has a plan. You are not a key critical piece to God's plan, and neither am I. 
Just go ahead and take that responsibility off of your shoulders. It is not up to you to save the world. It is not, you are not God's only hope. You are not God's only chance. If you don't, who will do it is not really what you and I should be saying. God always has somebody else who will do what he wants him to do. It's that God extends the opportunity to you and me. And it's that God even created us to fulfill his own purpose in our life. So don't hear me saying you're not important. I'm just saying you're not that important. Right? And, and look, that, that, that's not a slam. I'm saying that to me too. No human being is like the only person that God can use for something. He can do whatever he wants. But the fact that he says, I am giving you life because I have a way for you to fit into my eternal family. That's a huge deal. It means that you are important. The Bible says in um, uh, uh, Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created on purpose. You know, I, I've heard people say of their kids, yeah, she was the accident. She, he was the oops. Now, I know that most of the time when somebody says that, it's just a joke. But sometimes we can believe that. We can believe that, oh, I was just an accident. I wasn't ever supposed to be here. Listen, I can tell you this. Not one single person in this room or not one person that lives on the planet is an accident. God has a purpose and a plan. In fact, not just a purpose and a plan, but a good plan. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 33, he says to the people of Israel, I know the plans that I have for you, right? And these plans are good plans. These plans are for you to prosper. And these plans are for you to be a people that can, can, can carry on the name of, of Jesus. And so you have a purpose and a plan just like Moses did. He was born. And then verse 3, but when the child, when she could child, hide the child no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. This mother, realizing that this child was too old to be hidden anymore, she took a step of faith. And instead of doing what Pharaoh said, well, she kind of did. She really did throw him into the Nile, but she just made a basket and a little boat and placed him into the Nile. So technically, she obeyed what he said. But um, could you imagine what was going on in this mother's heart when she took this little baby and she put him in the basket and put him into the reeds of the Nile and then stood back? And I, I'm, I'm thinking just prayed like she had never prayed before for her child waiting to see what was going to happen because what should have happened was she should have been found by an Egyptian or, or he should have been found by an Egyptian, taken out of the basket and thrown into the Nile. But instead, God's purpose in Moses' life was coming to fruition and nothing the enemy had was going to stop it. This baby was found by Pharaoh's own daughter and the Lord made her have compassion on him and she said, I can't throw this baby into the Nile. I will keep him as my own. And of course, the way the goodness of God works is that Pharaoh's uh, uh, daughter found the baby, but Moses' sister was there and said, hey, I've got a woman who can help you take care of the baby while the baby's little if you want. And she goes, yes, go find her. She had no idea that it was actually Moses' mother that was brought in to nurse the child and to raise the child. But then the Bible says... That in, ver in uh, uh, verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and, and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. So Moses' mother took the baby, took him, 
brought him at some point to Pharaoh's daughter and said, this is now your son. I want you to consider the fact that that was the last time, perhaps, that she ever saw her little boy. That perhaps was the last she ever knew of what God was doing and going to do. Now, she might have had some connection later on, but we don't know. We're not given any information. All we knew is that for her, the story ends in what we're told. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about how appropriate is it that we're looking at this passage on Mother's Day. Because let me tell you, mothers do not get the credit that they deserve. Amen? You can say it. Mothers are the unsung heroes in our world. And it bothers me that there is a a whole movement that has made motherhood a small, uh, um, um, small goal. It has made motherhood this, this other thing, right? That, that women really should just be successful. And if you have a child, well, you can do that too. Listen, there is nothing that a mother can do that is more important than be a mother to her child. Now, notice I said there's nothing a mother. I didn't say a woman. I said a mother. If God gives you a child... You have been given a gift. You have been given somebody that God is working in and somebody that God is, is, is building and directing. And he said, I'm giving this gift to you as his or her mother. And I'm entrusting this child to you. Now raise this child to follow me. That's what God is doing by giving you a child. Now listen, I say that knowing that not every woman will have a biological child. And I know that this is such a hard, hard thing for some women. I say I know that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know that because, because I've never experienced that. But you know what I mean? I, I, I see the pain that it has caused some people. But even in the midst of that, let me say this, and I don't mean this lightly. If you are not a biological mother, you still can and most likely already do act as a mother figure to someone. You do. Because there are plenty of people on this earth that do not have a mother that is active in their life and they're looking for someone to fill that role. Shannon and I have seen it multiple times over the last couple of months how she has been a mom figure to some other people and it's, and it's been a marvelous thing to watch. We've, we had this conversation just last night. She had no idea how much God was using her in that role. But here's the thing. You cannot, I cannot ever overestimate the value of a mom. In saying that, let me say, take one more step. There are some of you in here, no doubt, that when Mother's Day comes around, the pain is there because you don't have your own children or the pain is there because you have a broken relationship with your mom. Maybe your mom didn't do things the way she should have done things. As I was praying this morning, getting ready to, to come, in, into the, uh, come into the day, the Lord impressed upon me that for you, if you're in that position, you need to forgive your mother for not being the mother that she could or maybe should have been. Because the reason for that, you may not have any idea how deep and how painful it might even be. You say, well, why are you being so compassionate to moms? Because we never know what somebody's dealing with and what somebody's hiding that comes out 
in a way that is not a good way. Does that make sense? If you had a mom who wasn't a good mom, it's not because she just didn't want to be a good mom. Most likely there's a deep-rooted pain or brokenness inside of her, and that was expressed in her mothering. And what I can tell you is this. If your mom is still alive, there is possibly still hope that that could be rectified and that could be dealt with. If, if she's not alive, you still need to forgive her anyways because holding on to that bitterness only continues to poison you and every relationship that you will have. Amen? Can I get a witness on that? I, I just, I, I, it's amazing to me to see how God moves and how God works. But I also this week have been very aware of the pain of, of relationships with moms that have not been good. I've seen that face to face in some friends this week. And, and, I, and I want you to know that that doesn't define your story. You can still move on and you can still do and be all that God called you to be. So that was a little side note. So here we go. Ready? Moses is now the daughter of Pharaoh or the, the daughter. Gee whiz, that bird is still in my head. Moses is now the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was born a Hebrew but he became an Egyptian. So how do you think he walked? Yeah, just like an Egyptian. Thank you very much. I'll be here all day. Some of y'all are like, what? what? What are you talking about? Go, just YouTube it. YouTube walk like an Egyptian. He became an Egyptian. And, he, and in Egypt, he, was, he went from being a slave to being the daughter of or to the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He went from ordinary to royalty. Just like that. He was adopted. And he was raised in an Egyptian culture. But what happened is he didn't lose his identity of who he was made to be. Even though he had the last name of Pharaoh, he never forgot who his people were. And we know this because the Bible tells us in chapter 3 that in, in, in chapter, in chap, chapter uh, 2, verse 12, it says, glancing his way and seeing, that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. There was an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves. Uh, Moses saw it and Moses came over and said, you can't do that. Whopped him on the head, drug him back behind the shed and buried him in the sand. And he's like, you don't mess with my people. See, there was this, this inner recognition of who God made him to be. He was a Hebrew. The next day or, or, or shortly thereafter, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he came up to them and he goes, hey, what are you all doing? You're brothers. Why are you fighting with each other? They said, oh, what are you going to do? Take us behind the woodshed and kill us too? He's like, ooh, I didn't think anybody saw that. In fact, he got so afraid that he packed his bags and he took off quickly. Pharaoh actually had heard about it, and Pharaoh decided that he would put a hit out on him. The first hit in the Bible, maybe. He said, if we're gonna, I'm going to kill this, this kid because he killed an Egyptian. But Moses had gotten out of the city. He had he'd got out of town, and he was now in the desert, in the wilderness, right? So take this picture. Born in the midst of a time when there was great suffering in the people, there was a miracle at birth, or there was an intervention at birth. God moved in his life. He was moved from, from being a Hebrew slave to, a, to a, an Egyptian prince. And then 
he committed murder and was then moved from Egyptian prince back to a nobody wandering in the wilderness. Do you see any spectacular here at all? Because at this point, all of it is, it's all pretty, pretty, pretty difficult, right? It's pretty ordinary. Here's the first lesson in finding your secret sauce. Where you've been will give you an idea of where you're going. Where you've been will give you an idea of where you're going. In other words, all that has been going on since you were born in your life is, is forming you and changing you and directing you. And if you'll look backwards on your life, what you'll see is the finger of God all throughout the whole time. And it's not that God causes the bad things to happen, but in the midst of the bad things, God uses that for his own glory and his own purpose. And he takes those bad things and he turns them for his own good, which happens to also be for your own good. And so where you are right now, if you'll go ahead and look backwards and say, where has my life been? Where has my life been? Trace the fingerprint of God. Now, it's hard for those of you who are younger. If you're 12, you're like, where have I been? Uh, I went to Chick-fil-A yesterday, right? I mean, it's really hard to do this when you're young. It's, it's a lot easier to do it when you're 47, which actually is point number two. We want God to raise us up and to send us out right away. We want God to give us clarity, send us forth, and we want to change the world right then and right there. God doesn't work that way. Why? Because God is more interested in the man or the woman than he is in what you do for him. There's a difference between your relationship with him and your purpose or, or the purpose he created you for. When I say there's a difference, there's a distinction. He will never sacrifice his relationship with you so that you will do something for him. Do you believe that? He doesn't just want to use you. He wants to know you. He doesn't want you just to do something for him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And that is not a quick process. In fact, it's almost like stepping upstairs. If you go into a stairwell of the Holiday Inn or any of these big places with more than two floors, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a door. That's the beginning. And the door is going to say stairs, right? You're going to walk in and you're going to see stair, 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 and then a platform, right? You got to go around the platform. Stair, 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 and then a platform again. In our life, we have times when we're walking upstairs, we're really learning and grinding, and then we get things where we just kind of, we're not doing anything. We just kind of feel like we're just there. And then we start walking again. That's what God did in Moses' life. That's what God does in your life, and that's what he does in my life. You don't get to the 10th floor by going first floor, 10th floor. You get there by going first floor, first, 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 platform, turn, first, 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 second, platform, turn, first, second, second, second. Does that make sense? Turn to the person next to you and say, slow down. I'm saying this especially for those of you who are younger. Now, for us who are older, we, it's important for us too. But for those of you who are younger, listen, don't let your zeal outrun the wisdom of those who have gone before you. Amen? I feel like that's a good place for an amen. Don't let your zeal move you so fast that you miss what God is doing. 
And don't believe what people say when they say you got to make your dent in life when you're young. Baloney. God can do more in a day in your life than he can do, than you can do in a thousand years of your life. And God has got to take the time of, of kneading and churning and removing and pruning. And you know some trees that you plant, you plant them and all you do is watch them. You go out every day. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Ain't no fruit. Where's, why am I feeding this tree if there ain't no fruit? And then eventually you get this tree that's full of fruit. Why? Because anything that produces fruit, in a, not any, most things that produce fruit in great abundance, from the moment you plant them, they need time to mature and develop. Amen? In your life, in Moses' life, in Peter's life, in David's life, there was always a process of frustration and slowness before God finally says, now is your time. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Brent Allen walked across the stage yesterday and got his master's degree. Amen? That's a big deal. 20 years he's been working on it. 20 years. Why did it take so long? Well, because life happened, right? But guess what? After 20 years, he finally stepped to the next floor. You say, well, a master's doesn't make you the next. No, no, really, that was an accomplishment. That was a big deal. In your life, it may take you 20 years to reach what you thought you would do in three. But eventually, if you're faithful to the task, you'll get where God wants you and you can now take the next step. All right. So Moses is now back in the desert. He sees these, these, these girls and, they're, and they're, they're feeding the flocks. And so he goes over and he helps them. And the girls go back and they tell their father, hey, we were helped in the desert. And he says, well, by who? Well, this really cool, cute guy. Well, why don't you invite him for dinner? That's kind of in the Hebrew, not really. But so he comes home for dinner and he becomes the husband of Zipporah. They have a son. And then Moses figures, okay, this is now my life. I was born a Hebrew, I became an Egyptian, I'm now a Hebrew, I'm just going to be a shepherd the rest of my life. He was probably pretty content, I would assume. He was building his flocks, and how many years later did it take? We don't really know, but it wasn't the next day. Years and years later, he's out tending the flocks, and this, this bush in front of him just lights up like a Bic lighter, right? And he's staring at it going, this is a strange thing. I've been watching this bush for 10 minutes. The bush is still burning, and yet it's not burning. How, is, how can this be, right? So he walks over a little closer and starts to investigate, and out of the bush is a voice. Moses, take off your feet, or take off your shoes for your stay. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Whack! Take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground, right? There's a call. How can you find God's special sauce? Well... You can recognize that it's a slow process. You can look backwards. You can, you, you can see all the ways that God has been using you in all of the different circumstances and situations. And then at some point, you can listen to the call of God. I suspect everyone in this room has heard God's call. Not everyone has recognized God's call. God is so patient, isn't he? He calls and he beckons us. And eventually, 
we're able to recognize, oh, that's the voice of the Father. You remember Samuel? He was in, uh, sleeping in the, 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 the sanctuary there where Eli was, and he hears his voice, Samuel. So he gets up and he goes to the priest. I'm here, you called? He goes, no, I didn't call you, boy. I've been asleep. Go back to bed. He goes over, remember this biblical story? Goes to bed, he hears it again. He comes up and he says, here, you call my name. He goes, I didn't call you. Oh, the wise one, the priest said, I know what's going on. You're hearing the voice of God. You just don't recognize the voice of God. Can I tell you that most of us have heard the voice of God? Not all of us have recognized it. So I want to say to you, just like Eli told Samuel, listen for the voice of God. And when you think you hear it, simply say these words, here I am, Lord. My answer is yes. You say, well, how will I know if I want to say yes? Well, I don't think God's going to tell you unless, he wants you, unless you're ready to say yes. I think for some of us, we're waiting to know what the task is before we say yes, and God doesn't work that way. He wants to know what the yes is before he gives us the task. Why? Because it's the way that we work, and it's the goodness that he has. That's a whole other story, though. So he hears this voice, this calling from God out of a bush... And the voice of God says, my, uh, this is a paraphrase, my people have been enslaved and I've heard their cries and I'm sending them a deliverer and that deliverer is you. Whoa. This is one of those, he's walked up the steps and now he's on a, now he's on a pivotal moment. Y- me? Now how old is he at this point? 40? 50? 60? I'll tell you this, he's not a teenager. Because you can't go through all that he went through and still be a teenager. There's just too many things have happened. Too much time has passed. He's, he's up in age. He might be 60 years old. But when he hears the calling of God, here is what I think would have gone through his mind. I don't want to do this because I was an Egyptian. I know them. They know me. I got to go back to talk to the Pharaoh that I have a connection with. Not only that, if I go back, he's going to want to kill me because he might remember. I mean, all of these things going on in his mind. There was insecurity. There was doubt. There was questioning. There was even trying to talk God out of it. Lord, are you sure you're calling me? Don't you want to call somebody else? Isn't that the job for somebody else? Somebody more qualified? Blah, blah, blah. What we're saying is that what God is hearing is, right? And so he said, okay, here I am. I'll do it. Some of you in your life right now, the point at which you're in is this. You've heard the call of God, and you're, you're hesitating because you're not sure if you're up to the task. Can I just tell you a little secret about God? God never calls anyone that he doesn't not only equip, but that he hasn't already guaranteed that you'll be able to do what it is that you've called him to do. It is a 100% guarantee when God calls you. Turn to the person next to you and just say, guarantee from God that when he calls you, you'll be good. It's true. You say, Jeff, why are you having us tell each other this? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes hearing it from more than one helps us to believe it. God calls Moses out of the bush, and then Moses begins the journey of becoming the deliverer. This is an important part. We think that once we hear the call, we jump right into the task, and we just knock it out of the park. But for all practical purposes, Moses jumped into the task 
not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do it, insecure, somewhat unstable, and there were some failures along the way. All right, I'll go talk to Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Okay, you won't? Okay, good, gotcha, no problem. He said he won't let them go. Okay, go back, I'll go back. Hey, God said, let my people go. Okay, no, no problem. And I mean, 11 different times, back and forth and back and forth. Now, if you were Moses, wouldn't you be thinking to yourself, uh, why isn't God doing what he said he would do? You know what God was doing? He was preparing his people and he was preparing the Egyptians. God was at work in all of their lives. God had sent a deliverer just like they asked for, but they were not ready to follow the deliverer. Do you think some of them had memories of Moses and they were thinking to themselves, we're not following this cat. This guy, he's a, he's a has-been. He, he used to be one of them. Huh? Never thought about that before, but they could have been thinking that. He used to be one of them. It's a trap. So throughout this whole process, what God is doing is building Moses and teaching Moses how to lead. Do you know that the call is not always immediately, uh, when you have a call, you're not always immediately able to fulfill the call. But the call is what causes you to be faithful to learning and to growing to be able to fill the call. I can assure you that when I started pastoring this church, I had no clue of what I was doing. Now, I thought I did. I thought that I was, I was going to be able to fix stuff. When I say this church, I'm talking about First Baptist, which later we... I thought that I knew what, what I was doing, and what I found is that I was just making a mess of a lot of stuff. I mean, I just like blew things up, right? I can now say almost 17 years later that I've learned a few things, but I still have some stuff to learn. But do you know what? What God has done in that amount of time is he slowed me down, and he said, you know what? I'm not looking for a great church organization. I'm looking for a great church, which is good, which is people who are great. I'm looking for a church who's sending out people who are mature and who are faithful and who are disciple makers, not just people who say, oh, I'm a member of that church. I can tell you this, as I look through the room, I see mature and maturing believers. When I look at your life, I see the path that God has brought most of you on, and I can say, man, they're not the same person they were last week. They're certainly not the same person they were last year. And 10 years ago, whew, what a difference it is. I don't know if you see it, but when I look in your mirror, I see somebody radically changed by the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a good thing. But again, it's slow going. It's faithfully putting one step in front of the other. And just like Moses, when God calls you to something, you don't necessarily know exactly how to do it. But when you say yes and you start doing it, he gives you the grace that is needed day by day by day by day. So if you keep going forward, you'll find that the events in his life were difficult. There was frustration, there was struggle, there was obedience on the part of, of Moses and God's people. There was also disobedience in Moses' part a little bit. But in chapter 18, what we find is another key for knowing God's secret sauce for us, or special sauce. In chapter 18, Jethro comes back onto the picture. And the Bible says that Jethro, the priest of Midian heard of everything God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. 
And after Moses sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law received her and the two sons. And then um, Jethro uh, came to him in the desert, verse 5. And when he was camped near the mountain, Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. And what he was really saying was, I'm coming to you because you need some help. Jethro then proceeds to tell Moses, what you're doing is not going to work. You can't sustain it. See, Moses was the, the, the person who was solving everybody's problems. If you had a problem, you brought it to Moses. Moses would fix the problem. He would make judgment. And, then, and Moses was basically dying. He was unable to stand under the weight of the responsibility. Jethro saw it, came and said to him, you've got to change. There are some things in your life that aren't working right. God sent a person to tell him that. When you're discovering your special sauce, you need to be careful and cautious, but also consistent about who you listen to. God will put people in your life to help define and help, not define, but help clarify what you already know, but what's good to hear a human say. But be careful that you not listen to those who aren't walking with God, and be careful that you put what people say over what God has said that you know He said. And I've used this illustration before, but when I was in college, I, had a, uh, I was serving a church, and I was ready to be done and so I was, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I'm just going to quit this place. I'm going to go find another church. And uh, the Lord specifically told me, stay where you are. Don't move. Stay where you are and um, endure the suffering that you're enduring. And it wasn't like they were mistreating me. It just, I was, I was just a young dummy. So I went and I asked some people, hey, what, what should I do? And all of them said, oh, you just need to leave. It doesn't fit, you know, you and you're, you're different than that and all. And so I did what people said to do rather than what I knew God said to do. And for the next year and a half, I couldn't find, I couldn't buy a job at a church. I mean, I interviewed church after church after church. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And here's what the Lord said. He said, Jeff, from now on, for the rest of your life in ministry, do not move until I move you. Do not move because I'm the one that gave you the call and only I can revoke the call. So I say that as a caution. Sometimes we let people sway us from what we know God has said. And if what God has said is proven in his word, then what people say needs to be second place. However, what people will do is they will confirm what God has said through his word to us, and it'll be a confirmation from a human voice that says you can proceed with how God is leading you. Did that make any sense at all? Made perfect sense in my head. I hope it came out the right way. In other words, listen to what people say, but listen cautiously and prayerfully. But I know in my own life, some, there are some people in my life who at the right time, I, I knew what I thought God was saying, but I just wasn't sure. And then somebody says, this is what God said to me about you. And I go, oh, wow. It's not that I didn't believe God. I was just doubting whether or not I was hearing him. By you saying what God told you, you've just confirmed that I am hearing him correctly. Turn to the person next to you, if you will, and say, listen to people cautiously. Even now, listen to that person cautiously. All right. So we're going to fast forward all the way to the end. Here's what happened. Moses then spent the remainder of his life leading the people of Israel. He led them out of captivity. God used him as a deliverer. 
And when they got out of captivity, they were disobedient. So then they wandered in the wilderness for an entire generation. And he led that generation all the way until his death. Turn, if you will, in Deuteronomy chapter 34. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, a marvelous thing happened. Moses died. You say, how can that be marvelous? Because you know what the goal is for the believer? To live the life God set forth for us. To die and pass the baton or the torch to the next person. That's the goal. The goal is not to be famous. The the goal is not to make a dent in the universe. Although those of us who have a lot of ambition, that's what we want to do. Lord, I want to make a dent in the universe. That used to be my prayer. My prayer is now, Lord, I want to be faithful to everything you've called me to do and nothing more and nothing less. And if it happens to be on a big stage, so be it. If it happens to be in a corner, so be it. I want there to be less of me and more of you. So wherever you have for me, I want to be faithful to that and that alone. And then I want to die and I want to give the torch to someone else and let them continue the work. Here's something that I'd never seen before until this week. Moses did not start the the deliverance of God's people. God started the deliverance. God finished the deliverance. He just used Moses as one of the blocks along the way. See, they were crying out for deliverance before Moses was even born. You won't start anything for God. You will only continue what he's already been doing. You won't finish anything for God. You will only continue what he's already been doing. And we can say, that's good. Because it takes the pressure off, right? We, ha- we, we put ourselves in so much pressure going, oh, I just don't want to fail you, God. I don't want to screw up the whole universe. And I don't want to make the universe tilt on its axis and everybody die. No. You just need to step in and go, okay, this is my place. This is my part. And I'm not concerned about how many. I'm not concerned about about, uh, how long. All I'm concerned about is God said, stand here. So I'm going to stand here. I can tell you this. I believe that God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? Don't you believe that? And I believe that we will have the amount of excitement that we were made for. Like, Shannon doesn't ever want to be on a stage. She just, she she has no desire at all to be on a stage. I love a stage. Right? I mean, it's fun to me. People are like, man, how do you preach like every week? I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the easiest part of my job. This is the greatest part, right? I could talk for hours, right? I won't. But but the thing is, God made us the way he made us so that we could fit the purpose for which he made us. Your your personality is perfectly suited for what he called you and made you to do. So if if, if you're a person who has a personality who doesn't like the stage, most likely that's not God's purpose for you. Now, it might be, but for the most part, he made you exactly like you and I needed to be made so that we could fit where we need to fit. Moses climbed Mount Nebo, chapter 34, in the plains of Moab. He climbed all the way to the top, and there the Lord showed him the whole land. 
Verse 4, then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. Moses was part of a purpose that God started with Abraham. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, generations and generations and generations before. And God said to Moses, Moses, you fit in your place in history. But you're going to die on this mountain today. You see all that land? That's the promise that I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about. That's the promise that I told you about. But today, you're going to die. But today, you're also going to pass the torch. Because your purpose in history is done. And now it's Joshua's turn. If you keep on going down, verse 9. Now Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Moses died. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Moses not only died, but God buried him. And nobody to this day knows where his bones are. Why? Because they would have taken his bones and they would have immortalized him. And God wanted us to do what Count Zinzendorf, I love that name, said. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Because the hero of the story is God, not you or me. And so Joshua now took up the torch. And Joshua was now going to lead the people to the next step of their life. So let me say this to you, okay? And I'm done. God's purpose in your life is bigger than you may think it is. Or it may be smaller than you may think it is. But, the, but the, the thing that's important is that God has a purpose for you. And your job is not to find, your job is not to give yourself a purpose. Your job is to find the purpose for which you were born. And that God has created in you since before you were born. The way you do that is to look back and see all the ways God has been moving in your life. And then you look forward and say, okay, if that's the direction that God has been bringing me, then I need to go this way. And I need to just put my hands to the plow and just keep going forward. And I need to let God worry about the results. I need to let God worry about the, 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 the size or the scope. And I just need to say yes to the next right thing. I told you I was going to talk about Josh for a minute. Um, he's graduating high school this year. Oh, he's like, like he's done. Senioritis has kicked in too. Believe me, I'll tell you that. Um, but the other day, he, uh, he started working on a charter boat as a deckhand. And he, he deckhanded on Friday. Um, and he was telling me when he got home, that night, he said, yeah, I got there before the captain did. I got the boat ready. I cut all the bait, and I did this, and I did this. And all he had to do was step on the boat, and we took off. And I had this, this sense of satisfaction deep in my heart. And, and, and I thought to myself, you know, he didn't just do that instinctively. He did that, and he knew to do that because he's been training for it all his life. And there were times when he's like, Dad, I don't want to cut the bait, cut the bait. Dad, I don't want to wash the boat, wash the boat. I don't want to get up early and put the poles in the, in the boat. 
Get up early and put the poles in the boat. Dad, you just don't want to do any work before we go fishing. That was partly true. I'll be honest. There's a, there's a, there's a little bit of truth to that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. But the real truth is this. With all three of our kids, we have been trying to prepare them for life so that they don't need us anymore. And I could say the same thing, same thing about Hannah, and I could say the same thing about, about Sarah. We have been training them their entire life to find and to live the purpose for which God created them. It hasn't always been fun, and it hasn't always been easy, but there has been a plan all along, and that is what God has been doing in you. Tim, I look at your life. Can you see the hand of God? I mean, we've, we've had conversations. It, it, does it not amaze you at how God has been moving you in, in the field of medicine and, and he has you where you are now? Isn't it awesome? Do you feel more content now and, and finding more and more contentment that, that you're able to do something unique and special, right? I mean, just, and I, 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 I picked him out just because he's right in front of me, but the truth is I could say that about all of you. Put your hand on the plow. Keep being faithful. Keep saying yes to God. And watch your life be used by God. And then he takes you home and you pass the torch. Amen? See, I told you it was boring. But it's so basic. It's so very basic. Thank, thankfully, God gave us a bird in the attic to give us a little entertainment. So I want to close this way. I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. Do you know your special sauce? If you're old, look back. If you're young, start looking forward. Start listening. Start saying yes. This morning, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. There's no life apart from Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you're here today and you've not ever trusted Him, I want you to just say to Him, God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I recognize I need you. I'm desperate for you. I place my faith in you and I ask you to save me. In Jesus' name. Lord, I ask for, for, um, for us as your people. Lord, thank you that you are faithfully moving in our lives. Father, I thank you that you are so kind, so patient, so gracious. Give us the next right thing to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword Point Church at